<laughs> Hello. <laughs> How are you, Rash? <laughs> I'm good. My goodness. It's How been good <laughs> it, it's been so long. I was thinking about you and I just remember being at Evolve and sitting with you and my three and you were just you were doing like a selfie and you're just making us all laugh so much <laughs> I've still got that I've still got that photo somewhere <laughs> actually it just came up on my timeline um I'll send it to you yeah yeah it just came up on my timeline and it was like I remember that just laughing and I think sometimes we forget to act like forget to really access laughter <laughs> no you bring that though you you really bring that I think um yeah, tapping into my playful side is something that I, I got to do more often. So it was nice to have that reminder. And then that image just will always just stay in my mind. That's what but when I think of you, that's that's where I go to straight away. <laughs> wow, what a compliment. That's a real compliment. Yeah, no, it's true. It's true. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Welcome to the Lift Oneself podcast, Rash. I'm so thankful you're here with me. Thank you for having me. My goodness. <laughs> it's been so long since I think 2018 is the last time we um, saw each yeah. other. Yeah, California. My first visit there. And then I bump, you know, I come into your amazing energy. I'm like, wow, this is what California is about, is it? <laughs> Let's take a breath together. Close your eyes. And begin breathing in and out through your nose. And just watch your breath go in and out through your nose. And drop into your body. Just keep focusing on that breath. And I'm going to ask you to create an intention at the bottom of your stomach. An intention that you want to bring forth in this podcast. While just staying focused with your breath. Allow that intention to be released and to rise through your nervous system, passing through your heart, your lungs, up into your neck, reaching into your brain, and allow it to bloom and open up. While still staying focused with your breath and allowing your heart to open up and letting that intention root and blossom some more. And stay with your breath, opening up your heart. Now, when you're ready, slowly open your eyes. How's your heart doing? It's calm. It's feeling calm. It's full. Can you let the listeners know who Rash is? Nothing contagious, I hope. <laughs> well, maybe in some ways. <laughs> yes, please, because I love your energy. Um, I suppose teaching is, that's my vocation. That's my, that's my career. That's what I do. And then on the side, I've got a small, humble business, The Conscious Teacher. And I want to deliver the message of teaching consciously to teachers to students, for them to feel it, um, for parents. You know, it's like a conduit into conscious parenting, but why can't it go further into 
conscious teaching. That's my my vision, I suppose, for every school to have or for every class to be taught by conscious adults who have done the work, who know what, what it's like to be in a classroom, to be in four walls and feel honest the word imprisoned came to my mind, you know, but yeah. to a degree. Like I take when I when I started teaching now I think 14 years ago, I there was always I there was always something about what I was doing and I just felt to myself, is it right? You know, do do the children want to be here? Am I doing am I giving the right service or am I conditioning their minds? You know? Mm-hmm. And then when I started learning about conscious parenting through Dr. Shivali and you know coaches like yourself, I it made me realize how actually they just fit like a glove, conscious teaching, conscious parenting. Because once the parent hands over their child to you, you've got them for the next six hours. For many, for many children out there, the person that they see the most next to their parents are their teachers, you know, another another sort of caregiver. I think, well, as I drop my children off into the care of another adult and I go and teach 30 children or 31 including my inner child right (laughs) I've got to think am I am I doing right by them and I've always I've always wondered with education and I've always toyed with the idea of homeschooling and unschooling which is not a conventional thought I suppose for a a teacher who was trained in the traditional way of teaching. Um, but I've always thought, even for my own kids, would that be a better route? Would that would that be a better roadmap? And then I suppose I had to pull back from trying to get better than what I've got and be, you know, guide them in learning the lessons of what they're learning in the school environment from a, you know, an emotional spiritual social perspective not just an academic one Mm -hmm. you know the education system is doing exactly what it's supposed to do Mm. it's that there's not enough support for us to evolve into taking that learning and putting it into practice yeah yeah it's too much information and there's there's and when i saw for the teachers too i'm like where's the support for these humans do you know what it is to be with like little humans that are curious, high energy, asking questions, breaking the status quo, not just wanting to memorize things and regurgitate, memorize things and regurgitate. They want to be curious and ask questions, yet it doesn't go in the parameter of what the curriculum says. So we can't go outside of these. And it's like, but isn't that what education is supposed to be? Yeah, which yeah. is very challenging. And so, you know, navigating through that, I, I saw where, you know, a lot of parents will want to blame the teachers. And it's like, wait a minute, mm-hmm. have you even sat in a classroom and volunteered with them? <laughs> yeah. Most of y'all don't even want to be around your own kids. <laughs> this is the thing. <laughs> yeah, when you really and it's it's difficult. And 
So when I'm walking through this, it's like, oh, like it's not easy to do this. And I can be the first hand, like teaching now, like in that degree of academics and all that. Me and the twins clash. I find that a lot of, because I do a lot of tutoring as well. And sometimes parents say, I mean, they, they have the knowledge, but they just don't have the patience or the capacity to sit and do it. And I honestly think that's where the conscious parenting really comes in. When you're trying, when you're trying to teach your child something, you really see your ego rising then, don't you? Yeah. And you see yourself in your child and you see, but how can you not know this? Or, you know, why don't you just get it? Or I've just shown you, like, you know, as as conscious as I endeavor to be, I still find myself regurgitating those same lines with my own children it rises up and then falls and rises up and then falls all the time you know yeah parents teaching their children is I'd love to be able to teach parents how to tutor your own child how to teach your own child I'll I'll, I'll sign up please I'll sign up (laughs) the connection that's made there could be so beautiful it doesn't need to be something that's so wrought with angst and difficult to do and, and create friction it doesn't have to that really doesn't have to be there if you could let a few things go your ego primarily <laughs> yeah you know you explained it well because I see where my ego comes up and it's like you know what mm. I don't have the warrior strength to bring down my ego so it's better mm. for me to step away from something than to get into this friction And let me find a different way where I can teach you to learn, Mm -hmm. which, you know, I do teach, like every parent is a teacher, which if they will come Mm -hmm. into that awareness and let me see it from that way and still, you know, take little chunks and then outsource to other people that are willing to Mm -hmm. go in there. Cause it's like, I am also not going to have the conditioning that I should be the all for my child. Yeah, I understand that. And that can be challenging for to really see that because we're conditioned that we should be the all for our kids. Mm. Or not kids, children, sorry, because I was reminded when I was in Barbados, kids are baby goats. It's children. <laughs> <laughs> it's children. And it's like, yeah. Um, and so, you know, navigating through that. Can I share something with you? I can find it so challenging to get ish done and stay on track with things. My mind will jump from one thing to the other to the other. I'll have a bunch of tabs open and I'll go to one to the next to the next. And guess what? I get overwhelmed and I just shut everything down and nothing gets completed. Thankfully for me, I discovered magic mind and that has been an elixir in a bottle for me. It has helped me to be able to focus, remove the brain fog, remove the overwhelm, and I'm able to just really drive that focus and getting ish done. And when things are completed, I have a sense of fulfillment. Sharing is caring. So for you, the listener, for the next 10 days, I'm able to offer you 40% off your subscription. Yes, four zero. Go to the website, www.magicmind.co forward slash lift. That's M-A-G-I-C 
M-I-N-D dot C-O forward slash L-I-F-T. And if you only want to try a sample, put in the discount code LIFT, L-I-F-T, so you can get 20% off. This is the season of giving, and you have no idea what you need until you try it. So please give yourself the gift of trying. I am so much better for it. And you know what? Things are getting done. I want to ask you, what brought you into being a teacher? I would say my early experiences of racism. Growing up, I went, I went, I stayed in this area in North London. I had probably from the age of nine, 10, up until being a teenager, I remember walking home from school and when, and I was so excited to be able to walk home from school when you, you know when you get to that age and you've begged and begged and you can finally do it. And every so often, a group of these boys would just make passing comments about my skin colour, about my country of origin, which happened to be here in the UK anyway. <laughs> just look a little bit more exotic. Um, tell me to go home and all those sorts of things. And that put me on a plight of, you know, this sort of freedom fighter mode, you know, it really got my back up that I was, I was mistreated. And then some, yeah. the, the racial comments got worse and at one point got physical and then became an issue for our home and our family sort of thing. Um, and then that actually put me on the path of wanting to go into law human rights law in particular, you know, some a decade later. And then I worked on some cases volunteering and I did a, and I did a law degree, but I, but I realised it was too late, <laughs> you know. Law was, it was just too late. I needed to do something before to make sure that the racist mind wasn't created, you know, that that conditioning didn't happen, not try to fix it after the math. Mm-hmm. And that's when I volunteered at my old school and I um, I loved it, just loved it. Their innocence and their purity and their not seeing of, of things. And I thought to myself, you, you're just seeing good and you're thinking that I'm good and everything around you is good and you're good. That, was, that, that wasn't there when you're an adult, right? Life had hardened you too much. And I thought to myself, what's the best way to eradicate racism is to be a role model for young children and help them develop a mindset which is different from one that they might be hearing or seeing in media or what they might be exposed to. And I thought I wouldn't need to fix any problems as a supposed lawyer because education would have done that and that's um that's that's probably how I got into it because my early traumas of being subject to racism I went on a winding path (laughs) and I thought to myself gosh this law this law thing is just not for me it's far too competitive I don't have that bone in my body why am I here and I went through the motions um of, of completing the degree but I probably knew in my second year of law that this isn't going to be something that I was going to follow. And then I, of course, had the cultural dictates of my parents, you know, and that society 
because as an Asian, you usually become a lawyer or a doctor, right? Um, so I went through the motions of completing my degree, I think really because of that. But I've never looked looked back since, you know, and my journey was supposed to be the way it was. And I'm glad that I did that law degree because I learned so many skills that I can utilise now. Um, but it's probably a bit sad to say that, you know, racism got me into the path that I'm on now. But that's probably, that really is the, the truth of it. And then I, just, I, I loved it. I just loved it straight away. I loved working with children. I loved their their playfulness. I loved the questions. I loved that there was no filter, <laughs> you know. They could ask, they could they could feel that they could ask anything or they felt that they could, you know. Um, yeah, wow, 14 years. You know, and I can obviously I can still remember my first class. I can still remember children's names and surnames, you know, and what they always brought to me. They were I didn't know it then. I see it now because I've done the work, but they were always my teachers back then. They were always my mini teachers. If you had a say in the finances, what would you create as support for teachers in the education system? For them to learn about, I think, inner child trauma, their experiences, how they can project that onto their class and their children, training on consciousness, really, training on on trauma. Gable Maté's work, I think, would be amazing for all teachers to have that as a baseline, you know. Um, if that if there was that limitless pot, <laughs> you know, we need to save it for glue sticks and scissors. Oh no, <laughs> yeah, I need to teach them how to make their own glue. I don't know, but you know, give them give teachers trauma informed informed training. You know, more than just. Because we get training on autism and ADHD and dyslexia and things like that, but we don't, I feel like we need to get to the roots of things a little bit more and where ADHD, for example, might actually reside, where those anxieties in those parents can be passed down, the generational trauma. And I think we can do that and understand that best as teachers if we turn the dial inward and look at ourselves because we're so used to as teachers looking outward and thinking, okay, this is what I've got to disseminate to these 30 young minds. And if we can just turn turn the arrow to us and do that work before we become teachers, I think we'd be I think that would be the rise of being being a conscious teacher. You know? yeah. What would you like to introduce into the curriculum for students? Spirituality. What yeah. would that look like? It would look like almost a, a personal development course, you know, something, but also something that helps them see themselves as when they were really young, when they were too young to be able to see themselves, you know, when they, when they, you know, were learning to walk and they got up no matter how many times and helping them see themselves as that young child again whereas when they've got a problem now in maths and they struggle with it they think that they you know they're stupid or they're dumb or they can't do it or they're not good enough and it makes them feel bad but if they could connect with themselves 
even at even as young children you can still connect with yourself even though you've got you know a smaller lived experience in terms of chronological years you know you can still connect with your younger self an eight-year-old connecting to their to the to their three-year-old self teaching them about the ego that would be on the curriculum teaching about the brain teaching about the nervous system teaching them about trauma teaching them about boundaries even with parents I think that's a spiritual journey in itself because how many children can sometimes inadvertently become the crutch for their for their parent right and by doing that and I think by delivering a curriculum which taps into spirituality you help enhance the authenticity of a child you know and their voice is always paramount their voice is always heard and they learn to trust themselves they don't need to look to the teacher because it's it's there within them, you know, helping them attune to their own own voice and their feelings. I think some schools where I think we're almost on the precipice in some ways because we definitely speak about mental health issues way more than we used to. Mm-hmm. You know, we have these programs like Zones of Regulation. We've got we can tap into the work of Rini Jane and her Go Zen work. There's, you know, even Brown's work on on shame. There's lots that there's lots of people doing things. It been it just needs to feed into really government needs to needs to see that this is good work. This is pure work. If you don't want to create a stressed half you know half full adult, then start filling up these children, teaching them how to fill up themselves or feel them emotions in the moment and not shame themselves into thinking they shouldn't think this way or that way you know reduce the comparison between students within a class I mean how can you not sit there amongst 30 students and look at yourself when someone answers a question and you think oh actually I was thinking something completely different which wasn't correct and how can we teach children not to feel bad about it Mm-hmm. you know like teachers listening to this podcast and or teachers or people think about becoming becoming a teacher or reflecting on their own experience if they could see every child they teach as someone that just wants to be seen by you just wants to be heard by you you know just wants to be loved by you and you don't need to verbalize anything to some to a particular student sometimes you can't in the whole day but all it takes is maybe a look, right? A smile. Hey, yeah, I'll, I'll sharpen that pencil for you. You know, a, a touch on the shoulder. A, a saying to when the parent comes to get picked up how well the child did today. You know, taking a moment to read with that child. It's about finding, teaching is really about finding ways to connect with each child. And it can be in really small, small ways. And it can be in really big ways. But for the ones that, like you say, that are armoured, the ones that have been labelled or put in the box or have been boxed or have been shifted from this school to that school or whatever it might be, they're the ones that you you really need to find a moment to just make some connection with. And it can be completely non-verbal, right? And you can build up, begin to build up that trust and slowly, slowly that armour that that child's been carrying will lift and they won't look so hardened 
right? They wear it on their face a lot, right? They after, after they see that you see them, that's all they want, you'll notice a change in them if you can be consistent and do that consistently. And when you look at them, make sure that you've got, com- you know, the word compassion in your mind or love or I see you or whatever it might be. Sometimes I think to myself, I'm teaching 30 mini me's and when I think of my especially when you're getting to know a class and you don't know them and it's the start of the year and you think you think to yourself if I'm teaching my inner child then I'm going to show so much love and compassion and I'm going to hear them and if that if I can do that for myself then that will spill out and children will feel that they want to just connect like they do with a like they do with a parent they want to find a way to connect that's all and they'll so you know air quotes misbehave until you can see that actually they're just trying to communicate see me love me hear me that's all they're saying right yeah and it's to have patience that um one day they might be open and then the next day they're armored back up again and that is the work and it can be very frustrating yeah because you want that continuation of just being open and you're forgetting that their lived experience is what creates the armor. So, you know, a lot of teachers really don't know the stories of what the student or the the child that's walking into their room, what they're living in. And, you know, there's some homes that seem like they have it all together, two parents working, having the finances, yet there may not be any emotions in that. And there may not be any, there may not be any connection. There might be hyper-criticized. Uh, and I, yeah. you know, we already know the low income and, you know, that being a war zone and that breeding a lot of traumatized um, children. I think what I want to bring forth is like Gabor is doing trauma. Everyone has trauma and mm. we've been so focused on it only looking a certain way yes. and then zoning in on behavior and thinking, well, you have it all together and you shouldn't ha- be behaving this way or yada, yada, not seeing the individual and how they're internalizing things. That reminds me of the book, um, um, Drama of the Gifted Child, mm-hmm. where you don't, where sometimes, I mean, there's trauma amongst everyone. It just presents in different ways, right? So even that misbehave, even the quiet ones, right, <laughs> in the class that, that don't seem to cause any, any outward problems, they're still dealing with something, right, just in a different way. And then so I think looking to see which children trigger us as teachers, that's huge. That is like you spoke about your children, right? I mean, how triggering were they for some teachers? Right? <laughs> if, 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 if our own children are triggering for us, but if, if teachers can work on the ones that really trigger them and love them harder... <laughs> That would that would bring about a change. I'm thankful that, you know, you listen to your calling. I understand mm. that you said like, oh, it's sad that racism. And it's like, I don't think it's sad at all. Mm. You actually listen to your calling of what the experience was. And you actually became what you want to see in the world. Yeah. Well, yeah. Make the change from the inside, I suppose. Yeah. There's not many people that have done that. Mm. Or tapped into really, why did I become this, whatever profession, not only just teachers, 
whatever mm-hmm. profession, like what really brought me here? And yeah. some of them, you know, it's not until their forties or fifties that they realize, oh, this was all my parents' plan. Like this isn't even something <laughs> like I appreciate the lifestyle and everything, but inside I'm not feeling very fulfilled. Mm-hmm. Um, what are pointers that you would give to parents for tutoring or being with their children with their homework? Let me just say certain pieces of homework can be pointless, right? And if you and your child don't see the value of the work that you're doing, it's a little bit like don't do it, you know, because why would you do something that you don't that you don't see value in? Once you can see once you get a piece of work and you can can actually see the benefit and the value of doing this or you think okay, actually we can learn something together. I th- I don't think it it can be a conversation of okay, come on, let's do our homework. I think it I think it needs to be now that's the part that's the part that needs to be navigated generally because it's always the getting started on the homework that seems to be the issue mm-hmm. for many parents and I, I feel so I think having it there having a root having some semblance of a routine or pattern children like to have a rhythm since they were born they've always liked to have a rhythm it was your heartbeat when they were in your womb back then you know they want a rhythm to the day there's rhythms in you know, the natural world. So having a rhythm to the day, having a little bit of a structure of, okay, this is when we do homework, you know, so it doesn't feel like it's forced. Mm -hmm. I would say don't rush it. It's better to say to the teacher, I'm going to turn this piece in late, than rush it and create anxiety and stress around it. And oftentimes, and particularly for young children, don't think that they have to do it, do it by themselves. You know, it's really, homework can be a great opportunity for the parent and the child to connect and learn and laugh together, you know, especially those projects that you get asked to complete. Sometimes that can be so much fun. We're working on one with 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 Cubby, with our son, who's eight. I'm having so much fun doing it. It doesn't even feel like, it doesn't even feel like homework. Mm-hmm. And it's taking on limbs of its own, you know, he's... He's creating these bloopers that are going to, you know, we've said that we'll put it on YouTube. It never even started off like that at all. But it's because we had fun doing it, you know, which is what you bring to everything. It's just that that fun factor. If you can bring that into homework, they should call it fun work. They shouldn't call it homework. They should call it something else, right? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) As a teacher, I'd much rather have a conversation. If a a child didn't want to do a piece of homework that I had set, but had a different, say, say they had to, you know, produce a PowerPoint on, on a particular topic or something like that. And if they weren't really engaged in that topic, I really, really wouldn't mind if they went and produced a PowerPoint on Minecraft. (laughs) And and they share that because the, the skills are the same. The delivery is the same, the the skills that you learn from doing the presentation, fine, you pick, you're getting different knowledge. You're not learning about you know, the ancient Greeks, you're learning more about Minecraft, but that's where your interest lies. I think if we can be a little bit, if teachers can be a little bit more relaxed about it as well, parents will feel a little bit more relaxed about it. sunset going on i see a light change for you oh really are you by a window or anything i am i'm by the window okay the, the sun changed this the, the uh-huh. sun changed its positioning and it's uh-huh. um 
glowing on your face. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm in tune with the sun and the moon. You have no idea. <laughs> it's London. It's just been raining down like cats and dogs all day this morning. <laughs> Has it? Is there sun now? Can you see the sun? Yeah. Yeah, I can. Yeah. Oh, wow. You're good. Yeah. Right there. Yeah. It changed. <laughs> it came out of the clouds. Yeah. 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 Oh, you're, wow. Where are you right now? Because <laughs> you can see my <laughs> I could see it in your face. I could see that. The, like I said, I'm attuned with the sun and the moon. Like people are always like, Nat, you're just a little obsessed. I'm like, oh, yes, because I, that's our energy. Now that you said that, I can really, I can really feel the warmth on me now as well. Wow. Yeah. That's something. That's something. I'm attuned in the that's moment. That's your hug energy. It's the sun. That's where, well, that's what it is. <laughs> And in that connection, stop raining now. The storms don't last forever. <laughs> yeah, it's somewhere else. It's moved on. It'll come back full circle, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to bring you into a reflective question. Mm-hmm. I'm going to ask you to bring this awareness that you have and go back to your 18 year old self. And I'm going to ask you to give your 18 year old self only three words. They can be in a form of a sentence or three individual words. And these words are what is going to help you navigate through the journey. Mm, I would say, slow down. Slow down, child. (laughs) I would tell myself, yeah, I would tell my younger self to slow, slow right down. Because I didn't realize that the speed at which I was going then was creating habits that I am now where I'm where I'm thinking I need to slow down I'm still saying slow down actually so if I had said it to myself when I was 18 I'd be I'd be a tortoise right now that's okay you don't need to be a hare (laughs) right and is there a reason for it a reason for me to slow down Mm -hmm. like in the reflection of your scene I think it's like how we started this conversation. It was everything was doing, doing, doing. You know, even my my plight to combat racism got me into this doing mode, you know, doing talks, doing presentations, going on peaceful protests, you know, writing, cutting out articles, scrapbooking, doing, doing, doing all the time. And that was probably necessary then. But that same doing pattern has still stayed with me, you know, whereas sitting still, I can sit still and do a meditation, but it's it takes a lot of work to not have a day where I'm not doing something because it makes me feel unproductive. And I think in education, there's this you're on this conveyor belt of productivity, aren't you? Because you learn something, you you digest it, and then you show something at the end to show, hey, look, I've digested that information. Here's my writing. Here's my presentation. Here's what it might be. And that's probably still, still very much in me. But I'm, I'm putting more of a spotlight on it these days. So when I'm 80, hopefully I won't say to my 40-year-old self, slow down. (laughs) You know? What I'm hearing you say is um, 
through the nervous system, it's fear and mm. being able to face the fear. Yeah. So what we do to offload the fear is we do. Yes. Yeah. Constant state of doing, right? And those interactions of racism mm. ignited the fight or flight. 100%. And yeah. to regulate the nervous system, to allow it to see, you know, you're safe. Mm. This is okay. Um, takes work. Mm. But to keep yourself busy, it allows you to not have to face it. Yeah, that's the mask, right? And it's not, um, there's a benefit of both. It's it's mm. it's end in both. It's not one or the other. Yeah, it's a constant dance. Because now, because of this work, I'm trying to make myself consciously busy, right? <laughs> so if I'm busy, I'm doing it consciously. But then you can fall out once you've, once you've got other all the other factors in your life, you know, family and home and work and all that kind of stuff. And it's hard to spread that consciousness against, you know, amongst all of those things, right? So that's the work. Yeah. That's my, that's my fun work that I've got, I've got to do for myself. <laughs> There's continuous learning. There's yeah. continuous evolution. There's so much depth that when we go, it's like, oh, there's even more depth. There's even more expansion. There's even more to learn. And it's like, yeah. Lifelong learner. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And when you can open and, you know, recognize when you've been in comfort of not wanting to learn to branch out into that uncertainty and, and explore it and enjoy the journey um, as challenging as it can be at times. And, you know, asking for help. I think yeah. that's the most important thing is to find those spaces where when you're asking for help, that the help is they're going to reflect for you to go back within yourself. Yes. That's what educare, education, that word comes from in the Latin word educare, which means to draw out what's already in you. You know, if we can go back to the root of that word, actually, the education system won't be so much about putting in or be about drawing out what's yeah. already there. Is there anything that you would like to leave the listeners? Just ground yourself. Just ground yourself every so often before you interact with your child or your student or your inner child. You know, just take that, just take that pause, take that slow down, take that slow down button. <laughs> Where can the listeners find you? So on, on social media, I'm The Conscious Teach. You can find me on there. I'm on other platforms like LinkedIn, Rash Through Dayan. But if you were to type in The Conscious Teacher into Google or something like that, it should come up, hopefully. <laughs> I haven't I'll, checked. <laughs> I'll make sure to put it in the show notes. I want to thank you for this amazing conversation and connection. I hope that you will come back. 100%. And be a guest again to um, share what your healing and your evolution has been and how yeah. things are in the UK. Because there's many things that we didn't even get to tap into that I know can be a different dialogue and mm -hmm. will bring other um, skills and experiences to other people. Yes. Yeah. Definitely. I want to th thank you for being you and an amazing human being and a light in this world that shines 
uniquely like you do. So thank you for being oh. you, Rash. I appreciate right you. Right back at you, honestly, honestly, right back at you. When I got your message, I was just, I just had that visual in my mind of our of our laughing photos, and I just knew it was going to be an open and loving and warm, um, warm conversation. So thank you, thanks for having me. Not bad for first time podcast, hey? <laughs> Not at all. It was great. It was awesome, and your voice. I know a lot of people are going to enjoy your voice because you have a very soothing voice. So when it, it's auditory, people are going to be like very mesmerized and engaged with it. So thank you. Either that or it'll be like dulcet tones will put them to sleep. That's fine. <laughs> That's good. That's good too. It's good too. Sleep well. Yes. <laughs> Remember to be kind to yourself. Yes. Thank you for making it all the way to the end. I appreciate you and your time. If you found anything of value in this conversation, please share out the podcast, share it through your emails, social media, and also please like and subscribe so that we can grow the community and expand the dialogue. Until next time, remember, be kind and playful with yourself.